Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, we get an update on how hospitals are dealing with the virus surge, particularly in hard-hit Southern California, where health officials worry about widespread flouting of lockdown rules. And we continue reflecting on our pandemic year, this time with a look at the viral entertainment we created or sought out to cope with the fear and confusion invading our lives. From Animal Crossing to Versus Battles to comedian Sarah Cooper lip-syncing Trump speeches, what online moments encapsulated 2020 for you? Tell us next on Forum. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We've been reflecting a lot on this pandemic year, from the bleak and painful to the unexpected joys and gratitude. But this year has also been hugely unsettling, and more than ever, people went online to help process our upended, socially distanced lives, with the internet seemingly endless opportunities for escapism or recognition of the madness we were experiencing. E. Alex Jung wrote in his piece for New York Magazine last week, quote, The internet became more internet, an ever-thickening soup of private derangements and niche dramas. And he joins me now to recap the viral moments that spoke to the upheaval of 2020 and the unique quarantine culture that emerged online. Welcome back to Forum, Alex Jung. Hi, Mina. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, great to have you back. I mean, for you, there is a date. I mean, a moment even when the <laughs> pandemic breached popular culture. That was on March 11th when the show The View had no studio audience, but Whoopi Goldberg repeatedly said, welcome to The View to a room full of empty chairs. We'll play a little of that now. Well, hello, hello, hello. Why did that moment jump out at you so much? <laughs> uh, well, uh, at the risk of stating the obvious, uh, I think it was because it was very funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, you know, you just, uh, she's, she's just so ecstatic and she's at her usual uh, seat at the table at The View. And then she's, uh, you know, yelling at this greeting and the camera's panning around the audience and there's no audience. Uh, right. And there's just, I think there's something that felt inherently 
kind of broken about that, like a little surreal, strange, yeah. ridiculous. Uh, and I and that was also a day when so many things were happening in pop culture specifically, right? That's when like Rita and Tom Hanks announced that they had contracted coronavirus and were self-isolating in Australia. Uh, the Utah Jazz, like the NBA went on hiatus. Um, so all of these things were sort of happening at the same time. And it felt like it was uh, this thing that felt distant to us now suddenly felt extremely real and was a coming reality. I think that I think that's kind of where we were in terms of processing what was happening. Yes. And I think also what sort of hits about that moment is both, like you said, it's really funny, but really jarring at the same time to see, right. you know, this this whole studio of empty, empty chairs. And in reading about your description of quarantine culture or core culture, as you coined it, it felt like those two elements are a really big part of what emerged this year. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, the feeling of something being unsettling, and uh, I think there's, there is that kind of underlying darkness to the humor or to the nonsense. Uh, I think my, my, what I was trying to do with writing about the past year, essentially, was try essentially to make sense of nonsense, which maybe is a kind of fool's errand <laughs> um, and uh, like a hopeless project. Um, but but uh, it, it did felt it did feel important to me to try to parse the the madness that it felt like we were all kind of experiencing collectively online um, as we were in quarantine, right? And try to give it some sort of shape. You know. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it is sort of a hard thing to put your finger on, but you know it when you when you see it. You also right. know when it really misses. Yeah. <laughs> and you sometimes remember? the miss is actually what's so good about it. <laughs> because it's the the conversation about how badly it missed afterwards. Yeah, or it, it, I think it like it becomes camp, uh, and I and I feel I it felt like that was such a prevailing. Uh, attitude during quarantine, which I think has always always been an attitude of the internet, but it it felt much more concentrated during this time period of of someone doing something very sincerely and it totally backfiring in a way that was hilarious, right? So you know the the, the example that immediately springs to mind is Gal Gadot singing "Imagine" with all of her uh, celebrity friends. Yes, uh, early on into the pandemic, as though. I guess that would make us feel better, um, which I think it did. I, I felt I felt better when I saw that. <laughs> but, but I think, I mean, what was really funny about it, right, was that, yes, they were trying to make us feel better. And actually, I think we have a cut of tape of that as well that I will play in just a moment. They were trying to make us feel better, all these rich and famous people, by singing Imagine to us. But for a lot of people, the effect really was realizing that we were not all being affected in the same way, mm -hmm, <laughs> especially mm -hmm. if you are rich and famous. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, and I, I know what you mean in terms of enjoying it in that sense, because it just felt like it it tore that veil off as you're watching this. Anyway, let me play a little bit of it just to remind our listeners. And it, it goes like this. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. 
Imagine all the people living for today. <laughs> when you even when you see Sarah Silverman's face as she's doing it, you're almost wondering, does she realize this isn't translating? <laughs> <laughs> you know, she might be the one who who uh, is doing it as a joke. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it reminds me in a lot of ways that that Hollywood TV, it did. They did really struggle to try to figure out how how to meet the needs of its audience, like how to reflect the mood accurately. Like, why do you think they had such a difficult time making sense of it? Uh, I think part of it is in some ways, the machinery of TV and film, you know, it, it literally just costs so much money. <laughs> it just costs so much money to make anything. Um, and there's obviously a lot of uh, mechanisms in place that, that make that slower. Um, and I think that that inherently sort of makes you unable to respond to something that is changing literally by the hour at times, you know, it, it sort of felt like, you know, we've, we've always been on this 24 seven news cycle since the nineties with the OJ trial and CNN, but it, it is really on warp drive now um, with the internet and social media. And especially I think this past year when we were just constantly online and you, you had news just changing constantly and so much and an, an, an inundation of information. Um, and I, and I, it just, it just felt like the only things that could really respond to that or reflect that were things that were also native to the internet itself. And so I think that's when, when things worked, it was mostly because they were kind of organically coming from that space of just digital culture, whether that, that was video games or verses or Twitter or TikTok or all of these things. Um, and I think that that kind of horizontality of the internet is kind of what really spoke to um, quarantine culture this year. And, and, and I think why something that was more hierarchical, like, you know, making a movie or a TV show, just kind of, they, they can't quite land because they're just a step behind already. Right. I really like this line in your, in your New York Magazine piece, TV shows are poor scribes of recent history. By the time they write, shoot and edit an episode, the narrative has already shifted which really points to why the internet, the strength, I guess, of the internet as a tool to really process in real time what was going on. And then also, as you were saying, the opportunity for people to do that organically, you know, like the guy who, who drank ocean spray and, you know, lip sync the Fleetwood <laughs> Mac's dreams, you know, that just came out of nowhere, but at the same time came just from, from somebody, from a random person, but, but really hit on sort of something that everybody could kind of relate to as a mood <laughs> or a lot of people could relate to as a mood. So I want to invite our listeners to join the conversation. We're talking about internet culture, the culture of quarantine with E. Alex Jung, senior writer for Vulture at New York Magazine. And I want to know what internet moments TV show encapsulated 2020 for you. You can call us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. You know, Alex, you mentioned versus battles, and I want to stay with that for a second, because actually back in May, we did a show about, you know, music 
moving to the internet, online concerts and things like that, and how, how cool it was to see people in their homes, you know, totally stripped down, you know, without, without all the lights and all of that machinery behind them, just trying to do music for people, respond to, to song requests. Can you talk about why that works so well? And also curious if you think it's, it's a formula that could, could stick around. Yeah, that's a great uh, question. I mean, it, it's interesting to compare verses to the other giant musical performances that still continued forward, right? Like the AMAs, the CMAs, uh, the VMAs all essentially tried to, to continue on with what they normally do, which was stage these big performances uh, that you normally would see with crowds and, and stuff like that on TV. But the ratings all plummeted for that. Uh, meanwhile, the thing that really captured, I think, the energy was versus, uh, and also, you know, like Charlie XCX uh, releasing a quarantine album, um, a, a bunch of musicians, I think, doing quarantine albums. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think I think the in, that versus was able to think about how do you make a, a digital concert feel like it plays into the strengths of the internet, which is a kind of intimacy and impromptu, uh, like improvisation, um, you know, off the cuff riffing, you know, like in, in a versus battle, you could just have like some sound problems or uh, a teleprompter not working properly um, or, or, you know, like little, just like tiny mishaps, but they kind of don't really matter because we're all just hanging out and watching it. And I think the ease and comfort and, camaraderie and joy that really came out of those uh, performances. I think that's sort of what people gravitated towards. Yeah, It it felt like something that we were all just watching together at home. And so that fit the mood better. (laughs) Right. Like the one between Gladys Knight and Patti LaBelle when they're just (laughs) chit-chatting together as longtime friends and these incredible artists. I mean, that would not have come about and been free for anyone to just tune into without verses. So actually, I want to play a little bit of that as we go into the break. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. Gone, girl. I was making girl, that pie gone. for him. I know you were making that pizza pie before him, and he done left. <laughs> you took too long, boo. Y'all too crazy, boo. <laughs> I love that too. I'm what you might call very good at hide and seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi Fi all over the house, even in my super secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. When Shelter in Place began in March... We watched as TV hosts filmed shows from home, unstyled and in casual clothes. We later followed the NBA into its bubble, and we turned to the Internet even more for connection and entertainment, spurring a unique quarantine culture, according to E. Alex Jung, senior writer at New York Magazine. He joins us now to talk about the year in quarantine culture and the forms of entertainment we enjoyed or made ourselves on the Internet. And you, our listeners, join us. What viral moment stayed with you or characterized quarantine culture for you? What's a favorite 
internet moment or meme that really encapsulates an experience of the pandemic for you, you can give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your comments, questions, and pics to forum at kqed.org. And Lady Tweets, the creative abilities of people creating memes has really kept me going and kept me positive and kept me laughing during hard times. And actually, Lady also tweeted a few choice political memes along with that comment when she sent it along. So I encourage you to get on our at KQED forum uh, feed to see that. But, you know, speaking of memes and, you know, just the way that people iterate off moments, for those who may not be familiar with what, what memes really are, there was one that you highlight in your piece that was pretty incredible, and that was Raven Simone. <laughs> Can you talk about, first, what she did, which alone was pretty amazing, but then what, you know, basically a person on the internet did to really turn that into something amazing? Um, yeah, so uh, Raven Simone... Yay was doing a Instagram live reunion uh, uh, with someone that she had done it. She had done this movie called The Cheetah Girls in 2003, which is a TV movie. And there was this alleged beef between her and a castmate. And so they have this uh, conversation on Instagram live to dispel the drama or release the tension, whatever. Um, the the conversation ends the the it, and and the camera is just on a a quiet raven eating a sandwich and she she rolls it up and then she just starts kind of like chuckling to herself and 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 the laugh just grows more maniacal uh, with time uh, and it's just it's an incredibly funny moment that someone clipped and put it on the internet and people watched it and they were like oh that's really funny and then someone else took that. And they put Mozart's Requiem in D minor, the lacrimosa part, uh, as a backing track to it. And it just really, it really elevates it to, um, uh, I think it's fine art, really. <laughs> wow. Well, let's hear it. wow you know it's such a it's like a cherry on the top <laughs> yeah no completely well kai tweets tiger king just seemed oddly of the moment for some reason it was this huge thing for seemingly two weeks around the beginning of the pandemic and then totally gone it kind of represented the start of this sense that we could still participate in a shared culture remotely your reaction to that because i know you mentioned tiger king as well um Alex, jump in your piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it just sort of felt like, you know, I, I was uh, more on the Avatar train when Avatar, mm. The Last Airbender, uh, which is an amazing cartoon, recommend it to everyone, uh, sort of went back on Netflix and uh, people started watching it again. And it, and it felt like you could, even if it wasn't everybody, you could kind of find your own uh, tribe of people who were watching and enjoying the same thing that you were. And then you could kind of like look for funny reaction memes um, or tweets or TikToks or whatever that might be related to whatever you were consuming in that moment. Um, and I, I think the same thing happened with memes themselves, right? Like the, the is this cake meme just kind of like 
kept getting more and more and more and more harebrained uh, with time. And it was fun to just watch people participate and like do their own spin uh, on it. I don't know. It, it just, it almost becomes like a kind of interactive appointment television, like a, a water cooler moment yeah. where instead of maybe Game of Thrones, we're all uh, talking about an is this cake meme and then making our own spin on it. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, it also makes me think of how, I mean, Tiger King was so irrelevant to the moment. Yeah, it was like, it felt really mm -hmm. escapist to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. There was that, you you mentioned um, Avatar, and there were also just, it felt also like people were hungry for things from the before times already. Like they were mm -hmm. almost immediately mm -hmm. nostalgic as soon as all of this came to pass. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. what you think is part of that, like what that drive is. That was also reflected a lot on the internet during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think nostalgia is a little dangerous personally, uh, even though I understand that it gives us great comfort um, to, to go back to a time when things were not or, or did not feel as acutely horrible. <laughs> right. You know, I, I think that we were, we just sort of wanted things to quote unquote, go back to normal. Um, you know, and, and I think that television provided that uh, sucker or that comfort, uh, even if it was small, you know, I, I think that's, that was always the, the pleasure of watching something like Great British Bake Off. Um, but I, th I think that became more acute uh, when, when you felt unmoored and unsafe increasingly. Um, I think that it, it felt good to go back to something that felt familiar um, and comforting in that sense. Well, Alexandra writes, I've been obsessed with Animal Crossing. I put in over a thousand hours into the game since working from home since March. Don't tell my boss and I hope he's not listening. I played the original games as a child and the new game has brought me so much comfort during these endlessly changing times. Yeah, that sort of another sort of underscores the point. I mean, Animal Crossing is this wonderfully familiar thing, but at the same time, they put a little twist on it and it just went nuts all mm -hmm. over the place. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and it was fun to watch people do, again, memes on Animal Crossing and then also interior designers uh, kind of promote their work via Animal Crossing. You know, I think people were like really inventive with how they used things like video games, you know, AOC, I think, uh, playing Among Us, uh, while also um, uh, electioneering and getting the vote out uh, while playing a video game was genius, you know? Yeah, I mean, we did all feel sort of destabilized, like we were kind of running in so many different directions and it and it captured that. One of the things too that, that your piece really made me think about is the comfort and recognition of absurdity, even if what you're taking in is so chaotic and absurd itself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mentioned Dadaism or, mm -hmm. and I wonder if you feel like, I mean, is that the best precedent for sort of what we're going through or, or the best metaphor? Yeah, I was trying to, you know, in, in my quest to sort of make sense of madness or this feeling of destabilization that I had, uh, I was thinking about uh, past references that might help make make that sense of that. And, you know, you hear it a lot that like, oh, that's so Dada or the internet can be very Dada in that sense. Right. Um, and the more I sort of thought about it, the more I read about it, the more I learned uh, very specifically about the conditions through which Dada came about. Uh, the, the parallels are kind of eerie, you know, um, 
there's a world war going on. Uh, a bunch of expats have, have convened in Zurich, uh, which is a neutral zone in Switzerland. Um, and they wanted to create an art practice that was a response to the madness of the world or the breakdown of the social order. There, in, incidentally or not incidentally, there was also the flu pandemic of 1918 going around in Europe and the US, um, which came to Europe via the US through soldiers um, during the war. Uh, and then uh, you had the breakdown of uh, Weimar Germany, um, which feels very relevant to right now um, in the US. And so I, I think that when I started to think about the, the political and social conditions Dada came out of, it makes perfect sense in that sense to think about how the internet is so uh, Dadaist right now. Um, it's, it's maybe not doing it in a, we're writing a manifesto school of thought kind of way, but I do think that there is this kind of organic reaction to what many people perceive as the breakdown of the social order right now. Um, and, and there's the reaction to that is um, a kind of absurdity that somehow feels like it cuts through the nonsense, if that makes sense. It's like none of what you're, none of what is happening makes sense. And so more nonsense, apparently uh, it clicks with the brain for some reason. Yes, <laughs> I don't it's know almost, how to explain it. I know it almost yeah. like, um, you know, rips off the veil of the nonsense yeah. that you're actually trying yeah. to make sense of it. And it's almost saying you don't have to, like it isn't, it's nonsensical in and of itself. Right. You also had this line where you talked about a Gen Z millennial cusp brand of disillusionment and anger. I mean, do you feel like Gen Z millennials sort of have their finger on that pulse? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, I do think it is very much a reaction. Like it's a reaction to the feeling that the adults are not in charge or they're not doing a very good job of it. Um, and I think that that is manifesting as this kind of disillusionment, a certain amount of anger um, at, at what just feels like it doesn't make any sense. You know, like when people, you know, like why don't we have uh, universal healthcare during a pandemic? You know, like I, I think like there is a, a deeply political edge to all of this, even though um, the politics may not always be obvious. But I think that that sort of explains something like, you know, when people were really surprised by the organization of K-pop stands this year, uh -huh. you know, like, I think about something like that, where, you know, they disrupted Tul Trump's Tulsa rally, they disrupted the Dallas PD's snitch cam, they raised money for Black Lives Matter, you know, and, and people were surprised by the, you know, quote, unquote, political organization of, of K-pop stands. But it, it makes total sense, because they're more, you know, like they're mostly women, they're mostly people of color, they're queer people, and they're going to be likely to support more socialist policies beyond the left of things. So yeah, it makes yes. total sense when you sort of like actually think about this holistically in terms of what, what the feeling might be between, you know, like liking BTS and what other interests would be included in that demographic, you know? Right. And if anybody has seen how K-pop stands can influence the direction of the people that they admire and are obsessed with or the culture in Korea, you know, I mean, just it's amazing mm -hmm. that that mm -hmm. would not be a shock that they were able to translate that with right. with Trump's rallies. Um, yeah, well, they have other interests, too. <laughs> <laughs>
We're talking with E. Alex Jung, senior writer at New York Magazine. His piece is Quarantine Brain. Nothing made sense this year unless you were on the Internet. Let me go to Matt in Livermore. Hi, Matt. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I just wanted to share what I thought was the most 2020 meme for me was um, Dave Portnoy. He's the guy that founded Barstool Sports. He has an Instagram page where he, he would go around New York City and reviewing different pizza restaurants. Um, but when the quarantine hit, he had to turn to starting to review frozen pizzas in his apartment. And then from there, these frozen pizza companies would send him um, frozen pizzas to review. And then from there, people somehow got his address and he just start sending him packages in the mail. And then it ended up where his entire apartment would be filled with packages that people would be sent, sending him from around the world. And every night he would open packages and, and he would get like 100,000 people all tuning into his Instagram live just to watch him open these random, random boxes. And it just kind of felt like what you guys were talking about, or sort of a sense of community where he can just kind of watch some random, random guy opening up a bunch of packages that, you know, one had like a goldfish. One of them had like a ninja sword. It was just, it was just absurd. Well, did, did you, uh, that reminds me of the communities, uh, like bit where the, one of the characters, Leonard, he just reviews like frozen pizza. <laughs> so it feels extremely like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Matt, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, this listener yeah, writes, Randy you. Rainbow is brilliant. Chris writes, one of my favorite pieces of quarantine culture was when aunties Gladys and Patty gave us everything on versus it was a win for black culture. Stephen writes, I'm a Colbert fan, and I much prefer the casual dress and atmosphere. When the pandemic ends, all the late night hosts should lose the suits. They seem weird and unnecessary now. I mean, that is something that I think, um, I, I wonder if that'll stay. It, it, as we were saying, it almost like, you know, raised the curtain or ripped the veil off sort of the, the illusion of mm -hmm. celebrity life. And I wonder if you think even celebrity culture is getting wind of this and that there may be some long-term changes from that realization and what we see and, and how we engage? Uh, that is a great question. Um, I think that the, what at least some of what we understand is just how much publicist mediation has kind of protected celebrities from making fools of themselves. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think it's been interesting to watch how without, you know, with sort of direct access or, or boredom, maybe prompted by boredom, celebrities have just been doing things on the internet that uh, maybe seem ill-advised. Um, I, I don't know. I think that's, that's a great question. Celebrity, what has been interesting to me is to see celebrity become kind of flattened and depersonalized in some ways. So, you know, like even like the Raven meme that we're talking about, you know, like you can use that meme without knowing the context for what it came out of, why she's laughing, whatever, right? Like it, it just becomes a shorthand to maybe express something that you feel. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that's interesting. I don't know. And so in that sense, celebrity is just this, this thing that you can, like a, a common denominator that, that you can sort of use to talk about yourself or talk about something else. Um, I think I, that is interesting to me. I don't, I don't really know how that'll affect, you know, something like late night hosts or something, you know, like there, there was already a trend towards a more casual, I think late night presentation anyway, you know, like Hassan Minaj with uh, Patriot, Act, Patriot Act was already trying to get rid of the, 
the suit and tie vibe at least. So I, I assume that that is something that relaxation or casualness is probably something that will continue, but I assume there will be something deeper that we'll have to reckon with if and when the pandemic is over. But I'm, I don't know, I'm a little loath to predict what exactly that would be. Yeah, gosh, I was just gonna ask you, what do you think that's gonna be? <laughs> what is that deeper thing that you think could stick around? But there is, I, I feel like what you're kind of getting at is something that I've been feeling, like even as we watch the absurdity, the funny, the inventive and, and all of that, there's something that makes me feel like we're all a little less innocent now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I th yeah, I would agree with that. I think that that uh, if the if the past four years of the Trump administration have not disabused you of the f of that, uh, then the pandemic I would hope certainly has in that that things need to sort of fundamentally change. Um, and I, I guess that that is the feeling of a loss of innocence or the unveiling of the situation. Um, or seeing the man behind the curtain, whatever metaphor you want to use, I do feel like there is this, this feeling that we can't necessarily go back. And I think that's why the nostalgia thing is, um, is I, th I think that's why it, it feels dangerous to me because it, it does feel like uh, there, is, there is no going back to normal. Um, there is no going back to brunch, right? You have to, you have to actually like think about what were the things that got us here in this place in the, uh, that got us here to begin with and sort of like fix those things. Um, otherwise it's going to be all for naught. That's the feeling that I have at least, which may be a little dark. But. No, you know, Alex Jung, thank you for, for your peace, quarantine brain, for your observations. And thanks for being on with us today as well. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. E. Alex Jung, senior writer at New York Magazine. And thanks to our listeners for sharing their, their favorites or their moments as well that really spoke to them in this insane year. Ariana Prail produced this segment. I'm Mina Kim. Mora Forum next. Stay with us. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.